I wonder if you noticed in singing particularly that last song together that we were singing to ourselves, that we were encouraging ourselves to bless the Lord. And then it was also a song whereby we are encouraging each other to praise and bless our God. For there are hymns that are directly related to our Father in heaven, and then there are the hymns that uh, we sing and speak one to another, even as the Apostle exhorted us in his letter uh, to the Ephesians. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Come with me in your Bibles this morning to the 103rd Psalm, Psalm 103, which is the basis for the songs that we have been singing together this morning. And this psalm encourages us, this psalm exhorts us to bless the Lord, O my soul, by giving to us the reasons why we should bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 103, I'm going to read from the first verse to the end of verse 14, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Psalm 103 and verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And now he explains to us something of those benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle? Now he tells us something about the Lord we're exalting. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east, is from the West. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. May God be pleased to bless this portion of his word to us this morning. Let us pray together. 
Our Father, we thank you that you have not simply exhorted us to bless and praise your name, but you have outlined for us the very reasons why we ought to be engaged in such an exercise. You have given to us this list of who you are and what you have done. And what you have done for us, the children of men. For we who are as dust. And we thank you, our Father, that you have made yourself known to us. You've shown us who you are. You've revealed your steadfast love. You've shown to us your goodness and your mercy. And, oh, our Father, as we remember who you are, as we remember the great works which you have done, as we remember your goodness to us and your mercies to us, that you do not forget us, but you know us through and through, we're humbled before you. Forgive us, our Father, that we make so much of ourselves. Forgive us, our Father, that we draw so much attention to ourselves. We're struck by the fact that your blessings would rest upon those who fear you. That there is to be about us a sense of awe and of wonder. At times when we cannot utter a word, but be still and know that you are God and you alone are worthy of our praise. So teach us, our Father, of yourself, we pray of you. Help us to understand the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, that we may be a people who walk humbly before you with contrite hearts. For though you are good to us, we fail and forsake you so frequently. Even the past days of this week, we've said words that we wish we hadn't said. We've had thoughts we should not have had. We've manifested attitudes which have not been pleasing to you. And therefore, we ask for your pardon. We ask for your cleansing. And we thank you, O oh God, that you do support us and encourage us and strengthen us, even in our confession, by letting us know that you do not deal with us as our sins deserve, but you deal with us in mercy and in your goodness and in your grace. Now, Father, we do come to you to praise you. We do come to you to wait on you. And we come to you just as we are. Father, we don't leave outside those things which are troubling us. We don't leave outside those things which we've been struggling with and those things which have occupied our minds and our affections and our, our worries and fears. For, Father, you care for us enough to supply our daily bread. 
And you're most glorified by us when we look to you and bring to you all those things which do concern us. For then you show your hand in working through those things which do burden and concern us. And therefore we come to you just as we are. You know this day, our Father, each one of us, nothing is hidden from your sight. And you are acquainted with all our going out and our coming in. You're acquainted with our thoughts. You know the very words we speak before they tumble from our lips. And we come to you just as I am. That our Father, we may know your touch we may hear your voice. We may know your enabling grace this day. That as we spend these moments together in public worship, we would acknowledge you and exalt your name, but that we might know that you know us and you're sufficient for whatever it is that's nagging us and bringing tears to our eyes and heaviness to our hearts that you are the God who is sufficient for us and the God who is exalted in the midst of our weakness and in the midst of our wants. And so we commit ourselves to you. And as we now turn to your word, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The 23rd Psalm takes us from today into tomorrow. It takes us from here to eternity. Despite the lions and the bears, the attempts of Saul upon David's life, his own transgression with Bathsheba, and his dysfunctional family, David could look into the future with hope. A hope not in himself, but in Yahweh, his Lord, and his shepherd. And so it is that with faith born of great confidence in a great God, he writes in the sixth verse of that 23rd Psalm, and you have your Bible with you this morning, I trust, come back to me, with me to this portion. In verse 6 he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What contributed to his confidence? What furnishes this man with this kind of faith? What upheld his hope? Well, let me suggest three things to you this morning as we consider these words. David knew that God was beside him, and he knew that grace was behind him, and that glory was before him. And such are the privileges of the people of God. Those who know the Lord as their shepherd. 
we can face the future fearlessly because God is at our side. And this is implied in the emphatic emphasis we see right at the beginning of this sixth verse. The very first word that you read in this verse, that word surely points to the fact that David is making a deduction here. He has come to a conclusion. His consideration of the past enables him to be confident for today and certain about tomorrow. So what has he known in the past? Well, he has known, as you work your way down through this psalm again, he's known the blessing of the Lord's possession by him. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows the Lord's provision for him. I will have no need. He knows his protection of him. He knows his presence with him, even as he walks through that dark valley. He knows his pledge to him that which is brought out in the fifth verse. And so David's response to counting his blessing is this, surely, surely. I couldn't help but think as I was looking at this during the week, if David had been an Irishman, he'd written it a different way, he would have said, oh, to be sure, to be sure. (laughs) To be sure, to be sure. Surely. Without doubt, unquestionably, emphatically, Yahweh the Lord is not going to fail or forsake me now. By this one word, surely, David gathers up all the earlier lines of this All the earlier descriptions, all the earlier convictions. For recall the Lord's person. Who is he? Who is this shepherd who has been with him? We go right back to the beginning. He is Yahweh. He is the great I am. This this title, this most personal name of God. He is the living one. The, the, the self-existent one. The unchangeable God who keeps his promises, who keeps his word, who keeps his precepts, who keeps his covenant from eternity to eternity. Yahweh. He's the the God who causes all things to be. He is great enough to control the universe. He is great enough to guide the destiny of nations. He is great enough in his grace to walk beside his people day by day. Such is the ground upon which David says, surely. 
the Lord's person. And then consider the Lord's power. Power to protect. Power to preserve. Power to provide. Power to protect, whether it be from a roaring lion, whether it be from a a, a cursing giant, whether it be from a resentful king, whether it be in the valley of deep darkness, whether it have an enemy at the gate, David says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. The Lord's arm is still strong enough to save. No one can withstand him because power, even in our day, in this generation, with what we're confronted in our world, whether it be the universal world or your world personally, all power belongs to our God. So if I review my past and the Lord's actions and interventions and provisions for me, then surely, surely my safety is secure and my future is fixed because of who he is in his person and who he is in his power. And then to add to that, thirdly, consider the Lord's promises. For will his word to you and to me, will his promises to you and to me, my dear Christian brother and sister, will they fail? C.H. Spurgeon once told about a Scottish minister who went to visit an old saint. She was dying, but she declared her confidence that her Savior would never let her perish eternally. And the minister asked, suppose he did not keep his promises and you got lost. She responded to a minister, then he would be a greater loser than I. Why? Why? asked the pastor. And the old saint replied, it is true that I would lose my soul, but God would lose his honor and his glory if this were not true. And my friends, this morning, the glory of God's name is the source and stay of our surety. The glory of God's name, the jealousy of God for his own fame, is the foundation for our fearlessness. That God is committed to himself. And the exaltation of himself. And that's why he keeps his promises. That doesn't mean that God is a selfish God. 
a prideful God because God has no sin as we have. And that's why his jealousy is for his own name. He's altogether righteous. The confidence to walk through today and step into tomorrow. Surely, surely, my friends, is the, is the language of faith and is the terminology of the faithful. And I wonder this morning whether it has a part and a place in your vocabulary. Do you reckon this way? Do you argue with this way? Do you reason this way? As you look back in your life, can you come to that position before God and say, Surely, no matter what's confronting me when I leave this building, no matter what I have to face tomorrow, no matter what I have to confront in the coming days, surely, if my past teaches me anything, it teaches me, God is with me. And he will never fail me. And he'll never forsake me. Surely, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken, says the 16th Psalm. Confident because God is beside us. But then secondly, we confess the future fearlessly because grace is behind us. Grace has come behind us. There's a story that's been told by, uh, from what I've read, numerous preachers, we seem to borrow each other's stories. But it's a helpful story, an illustration of grace behind us. It's the story of a family who were away on holiday. They had just spent the last night at a motel and we're now driving down the highway to their next destination. And the father looked into his rearview mirror and noticed what looked like a flashing light way back down the road. As he kept checking his rearview mirror, he kept seeing that this flashing light was getting closer and closer. And so panic seized him, and he pressed the accelerator. But the car with the flashing light was still getting closer and closer. So the father settled down, slowed down, until the highway patrol car with the flashing light was right behind him. And both vehicles stopped. And the father watched in his mirror as the police officer approached the car. The father wound down the window, and the officer asked for his ID, asked for his name, and then asked if the family had just spent the night at the local motel. And the father confirmed all the details. The policeman then produced a wallet informing, sir, I believe this is your wallet. You left it at the motel when we, you were checking out. They notified me, and so I have been pursuing you in order to return it. And furthermore, 
There was a lucky draw at the motel last night in your room number one. And so here is a confirmation letter from the motel advising of a free weekend stay at the motel anytime at your convenience. Have a happy day and safe driving. That's Psalm 23, verse 6. For the word that we have follow, goodness and mercy will follow me, actually means pursue me, even as that highway patrol pursued this family. It's the word that you get in Psalm 34, 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And the meaning is that goodness and mercy, the evidences of God's grace, don't just follow us. You know, they just don't tag along with us like a disinterested child. No, they're pursuing us. God's grace is determined in its pursuit of us. God, in his own heart and in his own mind and in his own will and by his own work, God is determined to do you good and to do me good. To show mercy to you and to show mercy to me. And my friends, if it were not for his pursuit of us, we would all be lost and going to a hellish eternity. For you see, what is the character of God's grace? Well, in keeping with the pastoral flavor of Psalm 23, it's been said that this shepherd, Yahweh, the Lord, has two sheep dogs. One of them is called goodness, and the other one is called mercy. And each day they are pursuing us. Each day they are guarding us. Each day they are guiding us. Each day they are goading us. God's, God's goodness. Providing for our every need. And God's mercy. Pardoning our every sin. Because you, you, you see the difference. You notice the difference. You know what the difference is. Goodness. Goodness is God giving to us. What we don't deserve. Mercy is God. Not giving to us. What we do deserve. Goodness and mercy. God's goodness is for all. He makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But his mercy. That is his loving kindness. His faithfulness. His steadfast love. It's for the needy. For those who fall short of his glory, for those who know that they are sinful men and women, for those who are the clan of the blind man in Luke 15, whose plea was, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. In other words, show me grace. Show me grace. He pleads for what he needs in his helplessness. Because you see, wonderfully, mercy brings together the Lord and the lost. And my Christian brother and sister, we never get beyond the need for such grace. We never get beyond praying that prayer. God, have mercy upon me. Again, if I may quote Spurgeon this morning, 
He said, we need the Lord to have mercy on our good works, on our prayers, on our preaching, on our offerings, on our living sacrifice. The blood was not only sprinkled on the doorposts of Israel's houses, but upon the sanctuary, the mercy seat, and the altar. If mercy is needed to be exercised towards our duties, what will be said of our sins? And how sweet the remembrance that inexhaustible mercy is waiting to be gracious to us, to restore our backslidings, and to make our broken bones rejoice. God's goodness and mercy pursue us. And the conduct of that grace, it goes after us. And I think... To my own mind, the, the, the illustration, the personality that, that, that came to my mind as I thought about this, grace pursuing us, who, who can we look to to see that in reality, in real life, in living color? C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, that Irish intellectual atheist, until drawn by the Holy Spirit, had no interest at all in God apart from attacking him. And he said he was the most reluctant convert in England. He says he came to faith kicking and screaming each step of the way. But grace was greater than all his sin. And the hound of heaven and the sheepdog's goodness and mercy did their work and brought him safely home. You see, uh, let me, let me put it this way. Jesus, meek and mild, yes, in some degree. But Jesus is no gentleman. We sometimes get this picture, you know, that he waits outside the door of our hearts waiting for an invitation to come in. No, 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 no. He's King Jesus. He breaks down the door. And he comes in. He comes in because if not... He, we would never open the door. There's none that seek God. There's none that seek after righteousness. We're dead in trespasses and sin. But it's God and his mighty mercy and glorious grace that breaks down the barriers and drags us like Lewis home to glory. King Jesus comes. If I stop for a moment... Look back in your own life. Think of your past days. Think of the journey that you've been on. Think of the situations you've been in. And yet here you are, here, worshiping God, singing praises to God, thanking him for his mercy and his grace, listening to his word, Surely, it's all because of his goodness and mercy toward us. That surely our testimony is that of the Apostle Paul. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, can you say that this morning? Do you know these things? Has there been that that? invasion in your life, that divine invasion in your life and your spiritual journey when you came to know the living and the true God because of his goodness and mercy.
the character of God's grace, the conduct of his grace, the constancy of God's grace. Because what does the psalmist say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Every day of the believer's life, goodness and mercy are biting at our heels. These two sheepdogs have ahead of them a, a lifelong service of staying close to us. They refuse to leave us alone, and they will be with us until our dying breath. For even as we were singing, God is good, and he is good all the time. And his mercies endure forever. And so shouldn't that put rejoicing in our hearts? That a song of praise upon our lips. And bring a steadiness and a certainty and a confidence in our steps. Remembering what God has done in the past. And realize the glory of his person and the riches of his grace. And be glad that we are here worshiping the Lord. So how do we face the future fearlessly? Whether that has to do with the international scene in which we're a part, whether that has to do with our national circumstances, whether that has to do with our state environment, whether that has to do with your family, or whether it has to do with you. Remember this. God is beside us. You don't face it alone. And grace is behind us. And it's always sufficient. And that's why the hymn writer said, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily, daily, I'm constrained to be. God is be beside us. God is behind us. And thirdly and finally, glory is before us. But the psalmist goes on to say, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice his destination, the house of the Lord, where God's presence is known, where Christ's beauty is seen, where hopes are fulfilled, where prayers are answered. I'm going to deal with that next week, Lord willing, and that'll be our final message on this series. But his duration, I want to pick up that word forever. Forever. And we shall dwell in the house forever. That the life that is before us when we leave this world is endless eternity. As J.C. Ryle put it, a sea without a bottom, an ocean without a shore. But we must not miss this. Our state in the unseen world of eternity depends entirely on what we are and whose we are in time. Now get that. Our state in the unseen world of eternity depends entirely on what we are in time because each one of us in this room is going to live somewhere forever. So where's it going to be? You see, that takes us back to Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And takes us to verse 5. 
the enemy without. So there's two kinds of people. They're sheep and they're enemies. And which one are you? Which one are you? Where do they differ? Well, simply they differ in their desires. The desire of the sheep is to be with their shepherd forever. The desire of the shepherd is to have his sheep with him forever. The heart of the sheep and the heart of the shepherd beat as one. And so we can examine ourselves to see if we are equipped for a blessed eternity. Do we find in our hearts this day a desire for God? Do you find in your heart today a desire for the true and for the living God? Are we prepared to meet him? Because everyone will one day. Nobody rides off in the sunset free, my friends. The judge of all the earth awaits. Have we a distaste for this world, its mentality and its morality? Or are we in step with this world and we really have little interest in God? Let me conclude with this. Do we love this place? I don't mean do we love this room, this building. What I mean is, do you love what we do in this place? The worship of the triune God. You see, what, why, why do you come here? Why do you come here Sunday by Sunday? Well, some might say, well, I'm here for the teaching. And we, we do try and teach the word of God. But listen, if you're only here for the teaching, stay at home, buy a book, watch a video. You'll get far better teachers, if that's all you're interested in. You say, well, I'm here for fellowship. Yes, and fellowship is rich and real. But if, you, if you're really only interested in, in, in fellowship and, and being together and so forth, look, go and join Lions or go and join Rotary. They'll satisfy your needs. I'm here to, to find improvement. Well, we, we trust by God's grace and sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. We will improve. But if you're here just to improve your self-worth, listen, listen, my friend, go and volunteer at a charity. They'll help you build up your own self-image. Why do we come here? What are we doing here? We come to unite our hearts and voices in singing prayers to God in praying to God, and listening to God through his word, and taking the sacraments together. Because you see, the fact is, beloved, it's not about us. It's not about you, and it's not about me. What we do here together on a Sunday morning must always be about God. He's the one. We focus upon. He's the one we depend upon. He's the one we look to. He's the one we worship. And so the reverence and the rejoicing and the rapture of being in the presence of God in eternity is to be evidenced and experienced here and now as we gather together. This is to be a little foretaste of heaven.
And I can't stress that enough, my friend, that worship, God save us from man-centered worship or from man-glorifying worship. Worship is from God and worship is through God and worship is to God. And friends, our confidence in future glory ought to be enhanced by our delight and desire for his glory now. And our love and longing for the glory before us can be gauged by our love and longing for glory and for God now. So how do we face the future fearlessly? Well, surely God is beside us. His person, his power, his promises. And grace is behind us. Goodness and mercy here daily attends thee. And glory is before us, the house of the Lord forever. And it is the passion of the Lord of the house for his own glory and for his own people and for his own praise that assures us of a permanent residence here. See, my friend, if you're here and you have no really real delight in God, no real desire for God, no real interest in God, or well, why in the world do you think you're going to have one when you get to heaven? If his worship doesn't thrill you and fill you here, then heaven won't be any place for you. You're better somewhere else. But if our delight and desire and plea is to know him and to enjoy him forever, then we can face the future fearlessly. And his people can face the future fearlessly because it's founded upon his own passion for his own praise. And our future is fixed to his fame. And that delights the heart of his children. That his name will be exalted high over all. So let's pray. Father, kindle a love of passion for yourself. Kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of our hearts. And there let it for your glory burn with an extinguishable flame. Our Father, take out of us a heart of stone. Give to us a heart of flesh. Give to us a tenderness towards yourself and a passion for you and a delight in you and a consecration to you that you alone will be seen and your name alone magnified world without end. Our oh, Father, save us from ourselves, we pray of you, and be exalted in us by your own power and for your own prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.